0: Our Sunday services are at 9 and 11 a.m. and include a full range of children's programs as well as a ministry specifically for children with special needs. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at rockpoint.org for more information. Well, I want to just have um, really just two quick announcements for you today, Uh, kind of three, I guess. We have a new campaign entitled Reignite the Church. And if you're on our mailing list, you should be receiving a uh, a guide to this summer leading up to our fall launch the second Sunday in September, our homecoming time. And so if you'll pay attention to that, it's going to list a number of things that are happening as we attempt to reignite the church throughout this uh, summertime. One of those that's coming up very quickly, though, and that's why I want to draw your attention to it, is we're going to be having three events called Picnic on the Patio, There's no structure to this. We're just opening the patio out there that'll have seating and things available there. You can bring a picnic lunch if you want to, and they'll stay after service, hang out with some people or with your family. Um, We're hoping to have some food also prepared that you could purchase uh, out there as well if you don't want to bring something along. Just an opportunity to meet one another, hang out, and be a part of things. We're going to be offering that three times this summer, the first one starting next week. And then one other thing I want to mention, since uh, all of you weren't in first service, um, we had an opportunity for Nathan Lindner, uh, who grew up in this church. Uh, He's joining the Army, and so we had a time of blessing after to him and, and release for him, so that's just a way of announcement. Now, at this point in time, we've not been receiving offering. In fact, we haven't even talked about offering our money for about a year and a half, two years. We're going to correct that in a little bit of time. Um, but what we have been doing is online, or there's a box in the back. Do as you need to do on that. But we don't want to uh, go past the point of that as an act of worship. So before we dive into things today, if you would join me in prayer, please. Father, we come before you and we thank you. All the blessings you've given us, whether it's a child, uh, whether it's our job, whether it's certain resources or talents or abilities, or just the air we breathe comes from you. And in thanksgiving, uh, we give to you our tithes, we give to you offerings freely, without compulsion, without manipulation, Lord. We lay them at your feet as as a statement of our priorities, as a statement of our commitment, to the furtherance of your word and your purposes, and mostly just as gratitude to you. So God, as these things are committed to you, whether it's online or in the service today, we, um, we give them to you freely. We ask that they be used with wisdom and integrity for your purposes. And now, Lord, today, unpack your word, I pray, by your spirit. Address our hearts and our minds. And let us be changed, I pray, by our gathering. In Jesus' name, amen. Today I want to begin a three-part series entitled The Time is Now. And um, in this series, I want to begin by talking about uh, a little bit of an author briefly. I don't know how many of you have ever heard of a guy named Alvin Toffler. Anybody? would be shocked if many of you knew. He was a big name back in the 70s. Um, he was one of the first futurists, the ones who tried to grasp what was happening and where trends were going. He wrote a very well-known book called Future Shock. Now, the premise of the book was this, that future shock was a state of distress or disorientation due to rapid social or technological change. In other words, things are happening so fast, so quickly, that we can't even adjust to it, so we're kind of shocked by the rapidity of, of the change that's taking place. And as a result, we are distressed by it, or we are disoriented by it. We have experienced something like that in this past year and a half. The pandemic has incredibly accelerated certain trends that were already on the way Uh, telehealth your ability to talk to your doctor by video is here to stay it's it would have been here to stay maybe five years from now but it's here now Um, working from home for a vast grouping of people is here not only uh, faster than it would have been but it's here to stay Um, The concept of live streaming, which we're doing right now. There are hundreds of people that are right now watching us as we engage in this service. Now, 18 months ago, we did not have live stream, and that was a very deliberate choice on our part. We did not have any kind of outside uh, um, expression of our service due to a very deep theological belief that we held and still hold that has to do with the importance of the church gathering together. Now, I'm grateful for the live stream. I'm grateful for technology. This is not an anti-technological rant, okay? But it has changed some things significantly in the process of how we view church, of how we view gathering, and of how we view fellowshipping with one another. Children particularly have been addressed by this. I've had a half dozen different children or their parents give me a, a different version of this same story I'm about to share. I engaged a family a couple of weeks back. And there was a little girl who was looking at me with awe. Now, that's common for me with little girls. It happens. But this was unusually awesome, okay? And the mother leaned over to me at one point and says, you have to understand, just before she's been watching you on television, and just before um, as we walked in here, and she saw you from the distance, she says, he attends here? Like... The movie star that I see and know, this man of great fame, is actually here with us? I've had at least six different versions of this, okay, from different children that have been shocked because television is legit. If you're on television, then you're major, okay? I mean, it's like the internet. If you read on the internet, you know it's true, okay? And so for these kids, and for these parents, they see it. Now, some churches gravitate to that this is no longer um, a platform, it's a stage. And I'm no longer a pastor, I'm, I'm a performer or a personality. And you, you're not a congregation, you're my audience. And so church slides into a vein that was never intended. Because as we said before, we are not performers. We are not personalities or politicians. We are pastors that are upon this place here. And this, this may be a platform, but it is never a stage. You are not an audience. You are a congregation. And that has deep and profound meanings and differences. Now, again, I'm grateful for the live stream. It's allowed some of our people who have been homebound to engage. It's allowed friends of ours who are only here for a week or two and would have been completely cut off from the fellowship to continue to engage. I met someone after first service. They've been attending for two years, but I haven't seen them because for a year and a half of that it was separated. But they were engaged through the live stream. So we're grateful for that. I'm grateful and I'm watchful for it. I love the fact that when I was out of town, I was able to keep track of what was going on here and then send notes. Okay, you guys screwed this up, you did this. (laughs) I didn't do that. But I love the fact that I was able to engage. It's a great feature. But I'm also watchful. Because there's a change in thinking that can occur, and studies have already borne this out nationwide. For some individuals, they are going to attend by live stream alone for good. To them, it's an intellectual exchange. It's not the dynamic of a gathering. And so I can get that intellectual exchange by by just tuning in to not just this place, but to any place. At at our height of live streaming last year, we had over 3,000 people that were viewing in. Now, that's because some people's other churches or other gatherings didn't have a factor live stream, perhaps, or maybe just casually going by, channel surfing. And so it changes the engagement or what I view church to be. And we're going to stay on live stream for good because it fits my lifestyle It doesn't interfere with the things I want to do. In fact, I can even pick the time and place. Other studies have shown that for a significant portion of people that they are going to begin to attend only one in four Sundays. Only one in four. Perhaps this is year one today. If you're here present, if you're watching by live stream, yours is next week. I just have a word for you. And those other three Sundays, they're either going to live stream... Or they're just going to do what else they have planned to do. Other things press in. Other things become part of stuff. I I wake up and I'm tired. I just don't want to go to church. Or I wake up and I have other plans. Or I wake up and it's raining. (laughs) Or I wake up and it's sunny. You see, under that mentality, you win either way. (laughs) It's so nice out. I just don't want to go to church today. It's raining out. I don't want to go to church today. And so this mindset enters in and creeps into the church. Now, I really believe strongly that our church is unique and exceptional in this manner. I I don't have fears in regards to this, but I do feel that something of this needs to be addressed and that we need to understand the theology that's behind this. And so to that end, I take you to Exodus chapter 35, verses 1 through 3. In the Old Testament Exodus, Moses gathered all the congregation of the children of Israel together and said to them, These are the words which the Lord has commanded you to do. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh day shall be a holy day for you, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. And so early on, we see a day being set aside, not just an hour on a Sunday morning. We're talking an entire day set aside just to worship God and rest and be grateful and thankful and honor him and worship him a whole day set aside. Now, in this gathering, and as it goes forward, the church would take the same thing and shifted it to Sunday because that's the day that Christ rose from the dead. And so no longer do we worship on a Saturday, which was the original Sabbath, we now worship on a Sunday, but for 2,000 years, the church continues to gather based on this initial premise. On this day, as he gathers them, he does what would normally be in our gathering. He begins to instruct them in what God has said. And one of the very first things that's established in this chapter is the building of a tabernacle, a tent-like structure that the presence of God would be in, and it rested in the center of the camp, a physical structure designed for worship in the center of the physical aspects of the encampment of the children of Israel. Later, this tabernacle becomes the, um, uh, the blueprint for the temple that we find in Jerusalem. Then later, the synagogue, after the fall of the temple, the synagogue, uh, a smaller structure, gathered around, become a pattern, and it's upon that that the churches then become patterned. Corporate worship, people gathering together, because when we gather, we are shaped by that gathering. We develop traits that we cannot develop alone or in isolation. There are things in us that are seen by those around us that challenge us even as we challenge others. There's something unique in gathering, in just the relational aspect and the shaping of our character and of our very nature. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, Jesus spoke and said, Where there are two or three gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. And we say, well, that means like two or three of us. That's really cool, no matter what. But notice, it's not that Jesus isn't there when there's just one of us. The Holy Spirit's present in any believer, and so there's a presence. But there's something uniquely of the presence of Christ when there are two or three gathered together. There's something about the gathering of the people of God that invokes the presence of Christ in a way that as we stand in isolation, just simply doesn't do for whatever reason. We go along to Acts chapter 2. And the day of Pentecost came. All the believers were gathered together. After Christ's death and resurrection, they're all gathered together again in one place. And suddenly there was a noise from the sky which sounded like a strong wind blowing and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. So they're gathered together when suddenly the Holy Spirit comes and there's this sudden empowering, this, this powerful, significant moment that begins to happen. When we gather together, not only is there something changing and challenging us as individuals, not only is the presence of God there in a unique way and form, but powerful things can happen healings can take place transformation of hearts and minds there's all sorts of things that can happen in that moment what came out of this was was an evangelistic move that three thousand people got saved in that very day the chapter ends in the 42nd verse where it says the result of it was they devoted themselves they said this is great let's gather together this is powerful what's going on we're gonna devote ourselves to, to teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. We're gonna we're gonna regularly do this together and gather. And it didn't just happen with these 120 that now drew the thousand. It continued to be a feature of the church. In Acts chapter five, verse twelve, the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's Colonnade. Solomon's Colonnade uh, is also referred to as Solomon's Porch. It was a series of columns that stretched on the outer portion of the temple area. And so the church would gather in this large public place on a regular basis and would just fellowship. they just hang out. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be starting up the um, Porch Cafe again. And uh, so those of you that um, have a serious addiction, uh, at least coffee-wise, can get that taken care of uh, before service and then uh, pray for release from that addiction during the service, either way. We call it the porch cafe. It's not because there's a nice porch out there. After we finished the construction out there, we saw the columns that surround the atrium area there, and it reminded us of this passage of scripture. So we call it the porch cafe cafe with the idea of encouraging people to gather, to fellowship as the church. Do you want to know one of the most important parts of a Sunday? One of the most significant moments to me is the half hour to an hour that follows the service. As people fellowship and hang out and, and encourage one another or meet someone for the first time or say, hey, why don't we go out and grab some lunch? You know, we're just talking, you could do anything? Okay, let's go do that. Last week, we had the single service at 10 o'clock. I was impressed with you guys. Most of you showed up. Second service people, you guys just can't get up before usually, you know, whatever. But it was there. And maybe it was because it was an early service, but everyone hung out afterwards. We had to chase a bunch of them out. It got to be so late. There's something about that type of fellowship and gathering and encouraging one another. And that flows from that type of a thing after a service. There's something about the church when it's gathered that's different than when we are separated and isolated. In fact, I would argue that that you can be a follower of Christ, but you can never enter into the fullest sense of that unless you're part of a fellowship. I know some people prefer to just worship alone, be by themselves, because they've been hurt by the church, because they see such hypocrisy, because of a whole lot of different reasons. But biblically... It's just not how it's supposed to work. There's something that is unique that only occurs when we're gathered. United States, Supreme Court, nine justices. I mean, I know people are trying to expand it to 150, but we have nine currently, okay? And so nine justices. And these people, in one sense, are are people like you and me. Um, you could run into them on a sidewalk if you're in Washington, D.C., and, and, and you might recognize them. Um, they might show up at a game or some other event somewhere. Um, they're all influential individuals in their own right. But in the deepest sense, they are who they are only as they gather as an assembly. When the Supreme Court justices meet as a court, they make formal judgments and they take on a unique, joint identity. Together, they wield an authority that's far greater than the sum of their parts. As a result, if you've ever paid attention to any of the court proceedings, you don't hear a lawyer arguing before the Supreme Court. They don't say, may it please the justices, you nine individual people. They say, may it please the... You guys gotta need to watch more TV. They say, yes. May it please the court. They are an entity together. They are a corporate institution. and depends on those nine members meeting at one time in one space for that to be functional. In the same way, the local church is designed as people who gather, that we meet, and that when we meet, there is a unique authority, a unique presence, a unique event that takes place. Now, what happens with this gathering, this event? What kind of things does it look like, both in the scripture and, and today? Well, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, 19. Paul says, do not get drunk on wine. Not sure what that has to do with getting together on a church service. What kind of service were they holding where his first statement was, don't get drunk? <laughs> Some of you are saying, I don't know, but that's the service I want to go to. Okay, no. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. This is one of the reasons why singing is such a part of our fellowship. Now, part of what he was probably addressing here, and the reason why he raises the drunkenness issue is because not that they were doing that, but they would have come from a tradition that would have had that as part of a worship expression. In pagan Greek culture... They had a tradition amongst the Greeks of holding um, drinking parties. They called them a type of symposium we're going to all get together and we're going to discuss a certain thing and we're going to have a drinking party while we're doing that. So I'm going to take a drink, you take a comment, we're back and forth. And before long, we're all just stone drunk. And the symposium was generally uh, honoring their gods. So we're getting together, we're going to drink, we're going to honor our gods. So each of us are going to talk about our gods, we're going to honor them and say different praises or a little poem I wrote about, you know, my god, here, meanwhile, another shot, another shot, and they're doing shots the whole time until their stone smashed. That would have been tradition that some of them would have come from. And so now, they're a part of church, they are a follower of God, and they're like, where's the shots? And Jesus says, you know, Paul says, no, that's not how we worship. Our worship is with psalms and hymns, songs from the Spirit. It's from gathering together in the uniqueness of what it means to be the fellowship. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Um, I was going to teach you something this morning, but the entire creative team decided that you guys weren't up for it that you were not capable. And so I'm letting it pass this time. But there will be a time. And this is this song. It's a hymn that I just think is appropriate for today, and you'll understand more at the end of the service. How many of you have ever heard the old hymn, All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name? A smattering of you have. Look around. Those are the righteous amongst you, okay? <laughs> no. It's an old hymn. And I understand why the creative team would say it because it's, it's one that if you aren't soaked in it, it doesn't have the same power and impact. But I want to kind of pre-soak you, okay? And then we're going to learn this at another time or relearn it for some of us. And you'll understand at the back end of the service, think of this in your mind as we close the service out today. I'll hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate, fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Then talks about um, you chosen race now, ransomed from the fall of man. Hail him who saves you by his grace and crown him Lord of all. Third verse, let every tongue and every tribe responsive to his call, to him all majesty ascribe, and crown him Lord of all. And the last verse is, oh, that with all the sacred throng, the, the gathering of angels and all the saints have gone before, we at his feet may fall will join the everlasting song and crown him Lord of all. It's a powerful song. And when we sing together as the church, there's something dramatic that takes place. Now, I can sing alone in the shower, and it's amazing. But there's something about hundreds of voices gathered together, singing the worship of our King. There's nothing else like it that I cannot achieve, no matter the greatness of my voice or the worstness of it, whatever you want to call that, technically. There's something about gathering. I'll go on a vacation or a break, and when I come back and, and I'm gathered in this place and I hear everyone sing, and there's something healing that happens to me. There's something restorative. There's something powerful that moves in me, that, that, that gathers us together. And, and in song and in worship, we break forth. We understand uh, uh, maybe a little bit of what David was trying to say. The great singer and songwriter in Psalm 122 says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Let us gather, let us worship, let us sing the praises of God. There's something powerful with that, that nothing else can quite duplicate. Now, moving quickly along, there's, there's something that we read in Hebrews that we need to have an understanding of because here's something that's taken place. Before you throw that scripture up, let me me back you up on one other item here. I encountered a young couple a, a, a couple months back, and I was noticing that they'd been here practically every Sunday, and that had not been their pattern before because I watch every single one of you. Even as you sleep, I watch you. No, there's some things I notice and some things I don't that's the importance of gathering together. Because when we gather together, you're going to notice somebody that I won't notice. And if you're not here, they don't get noticed. Anyways, I noticed that they had been like really regular, and I said, man, you've been here like every week with these kids and everything else like that. And they said, you know, suddenly when we didn't have the ability to be here anymore, we suddenly realized how important it was for us to be here how significant it was for our family. I've had others that have said the same thing. I've seen people who have entered into this season, they found us on the live stream, again, grateful for that element, or they engaged for a couple of weeks and then had the live stream to carry it forward from that point on. But I've also seen individuals that have spun the other direction. I've seen other individuals who have fallen into new habits and patterns, of which gathering is no longer part of that they filled their lives with other items and other things. And so one of the questions I'd have for you today, both here and those that are viewing at this point in time, are you a disciple or are you a dilettante? Now I roughly knew what the word dilettante was. I always knew some of it, but the actual definition of it catches me. You see, a disciple means a learner under discipline. In Christianity, it means a dedicated follower of Christ that imitates the life and teaching of Jesus. It's a deliberate apprenticeship which is supposed to have the fully formed disciple actually become a living copy of the master. A dilettante, on the other hand, this is a person who cultivates an area of interest, such as the arts or something like that, without any real commitment or knowledge. They're a dabbler. No real commitment or knowledge. They're just a dabbler they just play with things. And if it gets rough, they back out and their knowledge is pretty shallow and it becomes real clear if you talk to them that they really don't know what they're talking about. Are you a disciple or a dilettante? Are you drawing in further or spinning off more? To some degree, this is what Paul's trying to address in Hebrews chapter 10 when he says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, not giving that up as some are in the Habit of doing, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Another f- translation says, "Not neglecting to meet as is the habit of some." Now, the term "habit" used to mean clothing; it still does sometimes. You know, under nun's habit. So, the original phrase was a, uh, was, a, was a clothing, something that you put on. It now means a, 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 a collection of 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 things that you do that that have become so patterned that they're. Almost unconscious in their action. Let us consider one another, is another phrase in the scripture. See, discouragement had made them avoid community at the very time that they needed it most. They were discouraged by the hypocrisy, they're discouraged by the pain or hurts, or discouraged by everything else. Where's God in the middle of us? And so they spun away at the time that they needed to spin in the most. And so Jesus says, Stir up that love and good works. Don't just count that it's going to be there. Make a point of it. Talks about giving up meeting together. Another phrase that I said is forsaking the assembling, forsaking fellowship. Gathering is a sure way to give place to discouragement. This discouragement festers when God's people are not exhorting one another, not encouraging each other, not able to 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 have contact. And then there are some who only go to church if they feel they need it at the time. It's all a matter of themselves. And their feelings and their needs, but our motivation for fellowship is supposed to be obey God, and that's to come to give to others. That we're supposed to gather, whether we feel like it or not, because there's a dynamic that happens when that court is gathered. There's a power that's unleashed. There's a presence that is there. We should gather with believers to encourage someone who needs to stand strong against a tide of discouragement. We gather to receive something from God. We gather to give something to God, our worship and our praise. We gather to encourage each other by our shared faith and values. We gather to bless one another. We gather to work together. And so, for live stream, for some of you, you've made a decision unconsciously or otherwise, you've hauled into a habit that you're only going to stay there through that narrow little lens and that's the whole thing and you don't see Who's here? You don't see or have a chance to be blessed or to bless anyone else. Now, for some of you, it's legitimate. You're homebound or you're traveling. But for others, it's just you've got habits. They're not good habits. And you've fallen out of the habit that was good for you of fellowshipping. And just because you're here today, like I said, doesn't mean you're off the hook on that. It can be this is your one out of the four Sundays but you're so glad that this is the one that you're here for. Unlike those pagans who are on live stream. I am a righteous man. No, you're not. you got all sorts of events that are more important to you or just sheer laziness. And so you pick and you choose. You're not committed and you don't understand the theology of gathering too. It's just a thing you drop in or drop out of and pick and choose at your pleasure. And then here I'm going to touch the third rail. And this is where I'm going to really target a specific group. Parents. I do not understand you at all. Your kids, you tell them that they're going to go to school. They wake up and they're grumpy, I don't want to go to school. You're going to school. It is not a choice. It is a priority you have made for them. Why? Because you know, without an education, they will not do well in this world. They tell you, "But I'm bored. the teacher doesn't like me. I, none of my friends are there. You'll hear whatever you want, but you say you're going to school." and you've told them that's a priority. You'll take them to sports camp, you'll take them to a variety of other sports and events and gatherings, all these other things you tell them because that's a priority. But when it comes to a Sunday service, or when it comes to youth group meeting, I'm bored. I'm- I don't understand you. You're telling them that their spiritual development, that their salvation, their eternity is not a priority. And then when they turn 20, you come to someone like me and you say, Fix them. And I say it's way too late oftentimes by then. Okay, now that's my rant for the day. Let it wash over you, just let it drift away. It was a bad dream. You're a great person. We set up all sorts of idols. We set up all sorts of things. We fall into patterns that change things into stages. All these are the things that can shape who we are. And we forget the importance, the uniqueness of gathering. And then I will say this, and I do believe that this is the vast majority, whether you're on live stream or here now, I believe the vast majority fall into this fourth level, and that is that you are faithful followers of Jesus Christ, that you you understand the importance of gathering. You understand there's a dynamic that happens like no other. You understand the importance of you ministering to others or being ministered by that. There's something special that connects in your brain. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 33. So, my dear brothers and sisters, when you gather for the Lord's Supper, wait for each other. This morning we're going to partake of communion together, and if you're a follower of Christ, you can join us. It is not, uh, or we're not uh, restrictive in that fashion. You don't have to be a member; just a follower of Christ. We've been using these little um, preset. Containers, and if you don't have one and you'd want one, I think some of the ushers are hopefully paying attention somewhere in here. And in the first service, I know they were bringing them in, and if you wave a hand at you, they'll, they'll hand one to you. Now, it, it's it's you take off the first little flimsy, and that gives you the bread, and then you take off the deeper one and it gives you the cup. So be careful, because if you peel off the cup, then you're stuck with this little wafer between two plastic things, and then you're really kind of screwed up. If any of you would like one, there's the ushers are passing around now. We're just going to take this together in a minute of time, but don't rush. Don't rush right now. I just want you to understand the scripture is saying that they would gather together for the Lord's Supper. This is also the last time that you're going to be taking communion, at least in this season of time, with these preset items. Starting uh, next August, we'll be taking what I refer to as full contact communion. Um, we'll be back with communion uh, being served. And uh, we're going to use a double cup process where the first cup will hold the bread and the other one will hold um, the wine, and you'll have that uh, to draw from. So today is the last time that you're going to hear the crackling of these things, at least in this season that we are in. Before we wrap this time up, I want to share with you something. When I was around eight, nine, 10 years old, it was around eight or nine. Um, My sisters and I would play hide-and-seek in the house we lived in. And my sister, my older sister, who's five years older than me, um, always won. She won so many times. And it would start in my bedroom all the time, up my bed. I'd be counting. She'd take off. And somehow she'd get back in. I could never catch her. I could never find her. So I cheated. I was nine. Give me a break. All right? So I opened my eyes and I saw her go out and I saw which way she went. She turned right out of my bedroom. And so I knew she'd gone into her room, which was, we shared a common wall. I had a closet here that opened on my side. She had a closet next to it that opened on her side. One time I actually went in and saw her enough that I saw her go into her closet. Ran back to my room and said, 10, I'm coming now. Run over, looked in her closet. She's not there. I look under the bed. Next thing I know, I hear she's back in my room free. Could never figure it out. Finally, she told me, after much torture, um, that there was a secret passage between her closet and my closet. Now, what she'd actually done was, and so she's saying she went to the closet, went through the secret passage, and goes into my room. What she'd actually done had grabbed hold of the pole, pulled herself up so that I couldn't see her. I went to look under the bed. She'd run back around and go into my room Free. But what I was told by this incredibly deceptive human being <laughs> was that there was a secret passage between my closet and her closet. And that set something in my brain, evidently, because it was like a day or two later, a couple of week, within a week, I had a horrible nightmare that there was a demon that came out of my closet at me. It really was disturbing. I mean, it was very real. Um, and it marked me in a certain fashion. From that point on, I could not sleep with the door to my closet open. I had to have it closed, because everyone knows demons can't get through a closed closet door, you know? A little weak on my theology there. But it affected me. You now you think, well, that's, that's cute. No, I'm saying it affected me. I'm saying it became a habit for me to the point of OCD. I remember being in my college room at one point in time, in my what would have been my uh, sophomore year, And on top of a bunk bed at one point in time with my roommate below getting in bed and I looked and I saw the closet was open and I'm like, closet's open. It's like, so what? That's stupid. But it's open. Yeah. Just turn over and ignore this. The closet is open. The demons are there. I climbed down from the bed and I closed the closet. I knew it was stupid. I knew it was ridiculous. But you see, a habit... From an event, had been so ingrained in me at that point in time that I, I had trouble overcoming it. I didn't toss that out until I was married. Once I was married, slowly, got to have the closet door closed, you know. It's like, and I broke that habit. We have all gone through a collective nightmare in this past year and a half. It wasn't false; it was real. We all shared it, and it's marked us all in different ways. Now, for some of us, it's deepened us, and it's strengthened us. For others of us, it broke us. For some of us, our habits became stronger in our gathering, but for others, we found all sorts of different idols to pursue, of events and activities, all sorts of flashier, brighter things, and we formed habits that were of a different nature coming out of that nightmare. I've tried to lay out for you today a theology of why it's important that we gather with an understanding for those that can't and for those that use our technology or other means for when we're traveling, but that whenever possible that we prioritize, that we come together because there's something unique with that, that we set aside what other habits have been ingrained in us in this past year-and-a-half nightmarish time, and then instead we come to meet. And so here we are today in this place gathered. Other members of ours scattered, but you're part of our fellowship still. And we're going to take of communion something that was about the real presence of Christ. As you prepare to do this right now, as you somewhere in the next few minutes of time, if you haven't already, gently peel off those things and prepare with the cup and the bread, I'm going to ask you to just listen to the song for a minute and let it not condemn but let it convict us today and let us come to a point of repentance and understanding of what it means to be the church. We are the church. We are your people. We are strong and we are weak. We are wise and we are foolish. We are redeemed and we are struggling but we are your sheep and we are your people. And so, Lord, we come before you today and and we offer any habits that have interfered, any items that have gone to our head, anything that has changed our understanding of what it means to be your church. And this morning, before we take of this community together, we lay them on the altar at your feet. Father, I thank you. I never thought I'd say this, but I thank you for your church. I do. With all its faults and blemishes, which I share a good plenty of portion of, there's still something powerful and unique in it. I pray your blessing on this next half hour of our time. For those that are able to, others can't, and that's understandable too, Lord. I ask that no one would be pressured in any way by statements made. So Lord, um, guide us as we continue to seek what it means to be your church go with those as we are now scattered to gather once again in Jesus name